Good, good evening, everybody. It is good to be at Excel on a Thursday night. It's been a long time since I've been able to be here with you guys. Uh, a lot has happened since the last time we've been here. Too much to even share a lot about. So actually, I just want to jump right into this message, okay, because I really feel that God wants to speak to some hearts today and uh, wants to move in this place in this evening. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for being in this place or in worship. We thank you that we can, with these, these lips of ours, lift up praise to you and you bring heaven down, God. Lord, I pray, Father God, that today as we speak uh, this word that you've put on my heart, I pray that, that, that young men and young women in this room, Father, would open up their eyes, open up their ears to hear and see what you would have to speak to them through the supernatural, oh God. I pray, Father God, that you would speak, Father God, this evening, Lord, not my words, but your words, your truths, your revelations, your realities, oh God, that trump all other things in this world, drown out all other noise, oh God, so that when we hear you and experience you, Father God, we thank you and we praise you. In your name we pray. And everybody says amen, amen and amen. Well, it's good to be here. I've had quite the week uh, of Again, my name is Rick. I, I was on staff here for about 15 years, um, and, and, and Joey, Pastor Joey and Cicely, uh, no, there's no one greater to lead this ministry. We're so, we're so we, we, they mean a lot to us more than they know, and um, I'm excited when he's called me, uh, even in the midst of everything going on in my life. For a real quick recap, uh, my mom passed away about a week, five days ago, for those of you that didn't hear. Uh, she passed on last, thir actually, no, not five, seven days ago. Seven days ago. It's Thursday, right? It's time flies. But uh, so I was down in Georgia, got back yesterday, and uh, we buried my mom on Monday. And um, the reason I'm mentioning my mom, not just because, you know, because that's fresh in my mind, but uh, I want to share a little quick story about my mom because it's related to today's message. Because my mom, she was uh, old school Puerto Rican. And for any, any Puerto Ricans in the house today, uh, Hispanics just in general, you know what that, well, you probably already know. You're going to be able to relate to what I got to share today uh, about my mama. And, and one thing about my mom was she was the kind of person that as my mom and me growing up, she would say to me things like this, Rick, well, it wasn't Rick, it was Ricky. Ricky, you can do what you want to do, but if something happens, you're going to get it. See, something about old school Hispanic moms, man, they, they will react to you maiming yourself, right? Because I remember one specific instance. It was 4th of July, coming up in about a week from now, it's 4th of July. And my mom gave me the same speech she always gave me. It was this, Ricky, you want to play with those fireworks? Go ahead. I'll allow it. But if something goes wrong, you're going to get it. So I was outside playing with these, playing with these uh, kids and, and uh, lighting up all kinds of fireworks, lighting up, you know, firecrackers and jumping jacks, all the good stuff. And I must have been about nine years old here, nine, ten, I would want to say. Uh, so still a little guy. And I remember I was leaned over lighting one of my own firecrackers when all of a sudden I was wearing shorts. It was summer. It was hot. All of a sudden a jumping jack comes out of nowhere and lodges itself in my right calf completely like stuck there because of the fire coming out of there. I screamed to, you know, to no end. I was a little kid. It hurt me so bad. I got third degree burns right on there. But here's the thing. I knew what my mom had told me earlier in that night. If you hurt yourself, you're going to be in trouble. 
And I knew my mom. My mom was the kind of person, if she told me not to slide down a banister and said, if you hurt yourself, you're going to get in trouble. I slide down that banister, bust my head. Before I got treatment for my head, I get a treatment for my behind. You know what I mean? And I knew my mom. I knew my mom was a woman of her word all the way to her moment of her passing. And I love my mama. But I know my mama was going to give it to me had she found out about that firecracker. So I remember going into the house trying to be all cool and, and hiding it. I'm, I mean, I still have tears probably still running down my face somewhat. And I kind of like creep in. There was family in the house. And I go straight into the bathroom because I want to take care of business. I want to see what I can do with this thing all by myself. Because there's no way I'm telling my mom I got burned by a firecracker. There's just no way she was going to get it. I was going to get it, I should say. So what happened was I went and passed, passed everyone in the living room, went to the, to the bathroom. My, my sister, my older sister, I'm the baby. I'm the baby of the family. I'm younger than, than most of my three other siblings by almost 20 years, all of them. And um, my nearest sibling is eight years older than me. Um, but this particular sibling, she's about 20 years older. She was like a mom almost, you know, in one way. And she, would, she ran into the bathroom because she saw my face when I walked in. She caught on real quick. So she comes to me, she's like, Ricky, what happened? What's going on? Da, da. And I'm crying in the bathroom because I'm trying to take this thing out of my, my leg. It's lodged in there. I'm, I'm just, like, going through some major pain. And she's like, why aren't you, why did you just come on here and, and come into the bathroom? Why, why didn't you just come and tell us or something? And I, I remember telling her, plain as day, you know, Mom, she's going to get me. She's going she's gonna to get me in trouble. She's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe Mom's still doing this, she says to me. I'm like, you too? She's like, yeah, me too. I was like, man, this is a racket. So, so anyway, so, so I end up going to tell my mom. She brings me out there to tell my mom. And sure enough, my mom was upset, but there's guests in the house. And that was my only saving grace. You know, you know what I'm saying there, too. There was guests at home. It was a good thing when guests were home because that was the delayed reaction that was going to come. So my mom gave me the look. She took care of me. But later that night, she got me. She got me. She gave my behind. Not, not quite the matching force of the leg, but that was my mom. See, my mom was the kind of person that she would allow you to go through whatever you're going to go through but you're going to pay extra consequences for it. Not just the initial consequences. I have stole a scar on my leg to, to this day from that, from that firework. So I had consequences of that. But my mom was the kind of person that she was going to go ahead and give you some extra consequences on top of it. Just to teach you a lesson. See, my mom would permit things, but she would never let them slide. My mom would permit things, and she would always go ahead and, and compound on top of the injury just to remind me not to do it again in the future. And see, my mom and God have things a little bit different, though. See, because God will permit things in your life, even when they're detrimental to you. But God's not the kind of God to compound on top of it. Now, he will allow consequences to happen. Can I get an amen? Anyone in this room that has, has, has sinned against God, has done something we know we're not supposed to do, have gone against God's word, we know that there are consequences to those actions but God is not like my mom, that, that he compounds on top of it because we know when we live under something we sang about earlier, grace on top of grace. But I do want to talk to you about this topic because many of us in this room, many of us in Christianity today, we allow ourselves to get sucked into what God permits over what God prefers in our life. 
See, we take God's permission to do something as if that's what he wants us to do or if that's as if it's what he, he, uh, he designed for us to go through. But that's not the way it works. See, there's, there's, there's what God will allow just like any parent would. I'm, I'm a father of a, of a daughter about to go off to college. And there are things I've allowed my daughter to go through. doesn't mean I wanted her to do it. But I learned now, especially as she grows older, she's going to make choices, Right? You in this room, you've gotten older in this room, you've gone into a different phase of, of life. Maybe your parents are getting a little bit more lenient with you. It doesn't mean that they want you to do the things you're doing, but they're saying, hey, you know what? You want to learn, so you're going to have to grow. So, hey, I'm going to allow it. Not that I want it to happen to you, but I, I'm going to allow it. Why? Because it's a part of growing up. It's a part of life. And with God, it's the same thing. God allows things to happen in our lives. God has a perfect plan for us. For each and every one of us, the word of God says that, Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans for a future. Those are promises that God has a perfectly designed plan for each and every one of you. No matter where you're at in your walk with God, you may have just come into this place and, and got saved last week. Maybe, you're, maybe you haven't even served God, but the moment you come to God, let me tell you, God has a perfectly designed plan for you. And that's a good thing. That's the best thing, really. But even though God has a perfectly designed plan for us, the truth is we get things twisted and, and we begin to think that because God permits certain things in our life, that that's part of his plan. But it isn't always the case. See, I want to examine the difference between the things we desire, which God permits, and that which God intends perfectly through his will. The title of today's message is God's permissiveness versus God's perfect will. Let's look up in 1 Corinthians 10.23. Says this, you say I'm I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Another verse, another version of the same scripture says everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial to you. In other words, hey, God's not going to step in and intervene. Should you say, hey, I want to do this. Even though God says, no, don't do it, says it plainly in his word, says it plainly in his devotion time with you, says it plainly through accountability partners, says it plainly through your leaders, says it plainly through church services, tells you, hey, don't do this. But God will allow you to if you say, I'm going to do it anyway. And God in his word says, hey, I'm going to allow it, but it doesn't mean it's beneficial for you. I'm going to allow you to take that step. But it's not the path I wanted you on. You're taking a step kind of off. But I'm going to allow it. Why? Because I love you enough to allow you to be who you are. I love you enough to allow you to, to, to learn on your own if you have to. Because Jesus says, I love you and I want you to follow my way. But I love you so much that even if you step to the left, he says, I still love you. Even though I want you over here. Because this path, see this path here is perfect. And there's no question about that. There's no measure of doubt in that word perfect. Perfect is perfect. He says this route is perfect. And the route you're about to take is not so much. But I'll allow it. I'm not going to intervene. I'm not going to interject. As a matter of fact, I already have because you know that's not the route to go. I've interjected by putting wise counsel in your life. I've interjected by putting people in your life to tell you, hey, that's not the right way to go. As a matter of fact, God says I put such measures in your life that even so much so that maybe you don't even go after it anymore because you know what they're going to tell you. 
many of you have been there where, where you know you're about to take a step off course and you tell nobody about it because you know what you're going to hear? Because you're going to get godly counsel. If the people that you're going to love Jesus, serve Jesus, and, and worship God, and, and hear the voice of God, and, and, and love you enough to tell you the truth, guess what? You know if you ask a certain soul. You know it. Some of you are, you know, like, oh, yeah, that's me, man, Rick. Yeah, that's me. Because I've done some things, and I didn't tell nobody because I knew, I knew what Sicily would say. Sicily would tell me, no, that's not the right way to go. You should be going this way. This is, God, this is what I see God's plan for your life. And this, is, this will lead you nowhere. Going out with that guy at that moment ain't going to lead you the right way. Oh, but I ain't going to. Oh, I don't want to tell anybody that, though. Because you don't want to hear the godly counsel. Because you already know in your heart that God has a perfect plan for you. But you're becoming, you've decided to go a different route for one way or another. So the word of God says, I'll allow it, but it's not beneficial to you. It then goes on in Romans 12 too to say this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and what? Perfect will. His good, perfect will. See, the perfect will of God needs no definition. As we as men, we really couldn't even define it if we wanted to because we, we can't even barely fathom perfection, Right? But we can only pray to live in the perfect will of God. To live in his will, young men, young women, to live in the will of God is to die to our own will. Plain and simple. To, to die is gain, the Bible says. To die daily to our flesh every day. Carry your cross every day. Those are sacrificial terms. Those are, those are terms that, that cause us to say, less of me, more of you, God. Less of me, more of you, Jesus. And because God knows that if you will say those things, and not only say them, but believe them with your heart, that God says you will know the path you're supposed to be on, stay on, live on, and triumph on. Because that's what God wants for each and every one of us. His perfect plan to be in fruition in your life. Then there's the permissiveness of God. I shared earlier, I know as a father that there are things I permit, even when I strongly desire my child don't do but I'm going to permit it. I won't go over more of that because we talked a little bit earlier. But this is what the permissiveness of God is all about. It's about being impatient and settling for that which God will permit rather than waiting for the perfect will of God and God's perfect plan and your destiny in your life. See, that's what it comes to when it comes to the permissiveness of God. See, we, we know that God will allow us to step forward. And, and the reason we take those steps away is because, yeah, we know God has a perfect plan, a perfect uh, a scenario for us. And whatever it is, whether it's a family situation, whether it's, whether it's a sickness, whether it's, whether it's your future, whether it's your school to choose to go to, your college, whether it's a future mate and spouse, you know, you, God has that perfect one. But why do we choose to go to permissive realm instead of the perfect realm? Because we grow impatient. We grow impatient. And we settle for less than perfect. And what God permits is very different than what God perfected. For your life. Therefore, we accept the permissible instead of expecting the perfect plan of God for us. Now, there's a few reasons why the permissible becomes attractive. The first one I just mentioned, the first reason that the permissiveness of God becomes most attractive over the perfect will of God is because we're impatient. See, after 15 years 
Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 16 grew what? They grew impatient with God's perfect plan. So they took their eyes off God, off the God that made them the promise, and decided to manipulate the fruition theirself. They decided, hey, God, you promised us a child. For those of you who don't know that haven't read your Bible, go to Genesis 15. And, and in Genesis 15, God promises Abram and Sarai, before they change their names to Abraham and Sarah later on, he promised them that he is going to make a nation, not just a nation, but a nation so numerous that it, it's like the sands of the ocean. And it's going to come from their offspring. By the way, these people are old. They're really old. And they go there, and, and, and God goes to them, I'm sorry, and says, hey, you, Abram, I'm going to go ahead and do this for you. You're, you're the one I'm going to do this through. I'm going to build a nation, my Israelites, from your seed and Sarai. What does Abram do? First, to be honest with you, Abram laughs. Abram goes, yeah, right, God, come on, I'm an old man. My wife is, is barren. She's never had, we didn't have children in our youth because my wife couldn't have children. So come on, God. I mean, that's the first thing he does is laugh at God. And I'll tell you, what, can I be honest with you? And I don't know about you, but I know for certain for me, there have been times that God tells me a promise, and I'm kind of like chuckling. I'm like, yeah, right, God. What? And I come up with all the excuses. We all come up with all the excuses. We're quick with the excuses why it can't possibly be. Just like Abram, no way, there's no way. My past shows me that this is impossible. But God, with God, all things are possible, Amen. And so when God says, I promise to do this in your life, I promise good things for you, he means it. It's not, a, it's, not a, 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 it's not just a tease. God is never a tease. God's word is true. God's word are yes and amen. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. When God says, I promise you, you can believe it, that promise will come true. But we need to be patient with the promise. See, how many of us here have been promised by God something great, but in our impatience decided to manipulate or make happen on our own the fruition of that promise? Maybe that relationship, maybe that school opportunity, maybe that family situation, that internship or that college, et cetera, et cetera. You put in, you can put in your situation. You know what you've done. You know, I've been there, by the way. I've been there where I've, where, where I've grown impatient on my journey with God. And I've tried to manufacture and manipulate the situation. And let me tell you something, it never goes well. It never goes well. And when we look at church youth groups all across this country, we can see that they are filled with Christians who have too often settled for the permissiveness of God in their lives instead of his perfect will. Paul and the author of Hebrews said this, he calls on all Christians to this in Hebrews 12. You don't have this verse, but that's okay. Uh, to run the race. It says this. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Now note this. How are we to run? Run with patience. How many of you ever ran track in school? It, it, was your coach's first measure of advice, be patient, son. Be patient. You're going to hear this. You're going to hear the gun. Just be patient. No, there's not a coach alive that would keep his job if he's telling his 
uh, track stars to be patient. No, what's he say? The minute the gun goes off, you better run, you better run, you better run as fast as you can. Yet here Jesus, and through Paul, illustrates that in the race that we're called with God, it doesn't say just run and run hard and run crazy and run like Phoebe and friends. I'm dating myself. Nobody here knows friends. That's all right. So, but, but, but run like a maniac. No, God says to what? Run with patience the race that is set before you. Because he knows that if we just start running hard and with abandon, and, you know, hey, and I know. Especially the younger generations love to run with abandon, uh, you know, with abandon. Just run. Come on, I want to just run. I see the, the thing. I know. But this is where I'm telling you that there's times in life that you have to be patient in your walk. Patient in that race. We are to wait on God if we want to win the race. Abram and Sarah did not exercise patience in their walk. They decided to do the second thing we do. Not only are we impatient when it comes to the promises of God, but then that turns into disobedience in the face of the promise of God. See, to live in God's perfect will, we must obey his mandates in scripture, such as reading our word, praying, being in fellowship with other believers, loving others before self, going where he leads and being obedient to his directions. But disobedience takes us from under the cover of God's perfection and leaves us totally exposed in our imperfection. When we're disobedient to what God calls us to do, when we're disobedient and decide to manipulate things that God has promised in our lives, what happens is we become exposed. And we're exposed like as if we're in the middle of a desert. We're exposed in, in the, the harshest sunlight. We're dying here. Why? Because when we decide to be disobedient and pursue man's will over God's will or man's timing over God's timing or man's plan over God's plan, let me tell you, it will leave you always in danger. It will leave you always in danger because you're out from under the covering of what God has in his perfect will for your life. Now, God's grace is great, and there's always room for grace, but there's also our responsibility to say, God, I want to serve you full heartedly. I want to walk this race that you've led me on, and I want to win it. I want to walk in your will. This is why we so often follow up disobedient acts with more sin. And the more sin, the more in a constant state of disobedience we stay in. Some of us who come to excel week in and week out are currently in this state this vicious cycle, and we have come to accept it because, it because God appears to permit it. But never mistake his permissiveness for acceptance. Remember that. God allows men to sin, but never accepts one of them. God allows you, even the greatest believers in this room, whoever that is, probably Saul, I don't know. I love you, man. I was just saying. But God permits us to sin, but he doesn't mean he accepts even one of them. He doesn't. He, he'll, his grace will cover us, yes. But it doesn't mean to God he says, hey, that's awesome what you just did there. No. No father would do that. When he sees a, a child in harm, when he sees a child doing something that can hurt themselves, no father would do that. Neither would God. God loves us too much to do that. God loves you too much to accept your sin. God loves you so much that he accepts you in spite of your sin, but he doesn't accept your sin. There's a difference there. 
He accepts you in spite of what you're doing wrong because his grace is sufficient for you. But it doesn't mean he looks at your sin and says, yeah, that's great. Rock on, you did an awesome job there. No. No, not as a good father that he is. And Abraham grew impatient in our story. And then disobedience followed. And he decided to obey the instructions of man over God's. See, his wife had grown tired of waiting. See, they had been promised the promise, and 15 years had passed, and nothing was happening. 15 years had passed, and Sarah still couldn't have, Sarai at that time, still was not pregnant. 15 years. How many of you are younger than 15 years right now in this room? Raise your hand. Yeah, some of you are like, I don't want to say, I don't want to say. So that means those people got a promise from God that they'd have a child and your whole life has passed and they still hadn't had a child. That's how long. But as long as you've been alive, some of you in this room, as long as some of you can even remember, that's how long they had to wait. So Sarai grew, grew impatient and he goes, she decides to go ahead and hatch a plan with Abraham uh, Abram and, and, and say, you know what, let's manipulate this promise then. Let's make this promise happen. Because obviously God missed something here. Because obviously God didn't, didn't quite understand the severity of your barrenness. It's what Sarai must have felt, right? Maybe even Sarai felt, God, are you mocking me? Because your promise that you've made to us in our old age was something that I, that maybe Sarai had long since accepted, right? Think about it. She was older. She probably long since accepted that she would never have a child. And can you imagine being promised by God that you're going to have one in your old age and then 15 years pass? She must have been, God, what is this? So she decides to manipulate the situation. She becomes disobedient. And she tells Abraham, hey, let's just make this happen ourselves. Go take my servant girl, Hagar, and go ahead and sleep, lay with her. And when she gives birth to a child, she'll be, he'll be our child. And Abram, like a good husband, was obedient. No, not in this case. He was obedient to her, but not obedient to God. And he does it. He lays with Hagar, the, the servant, and, 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 and sure enough that a, a son does come into the world, but it's not the promise that God made. We'll talk about that in a second. See, had he waited, the promise would have come, but instead he didn't, and he obeyed the influence nearest him after God. And then all hell broke loose. God's promise, listen to this, God's promise disobediently fulfilled by man will always pale in power, blessing, and anointing compared to the fulfillment that comes by God. It will never measure up. Ishmael, who was the son of Hagar and Abram, was not the promised one for, 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 for the nation of Israel. He was not. And as a matter of fact, Ishmael, man's fulfillment, has been against Isaac, God's fulfillment, ever since. For those of you that, 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 that are wondering what that means, that means is that, that it's known in, in, in history, in the historical evidence of, 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 of the Bible and, 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 and following Ishmael's line, that that's, that's the nations all around Israel in the Middle East come from Ishmael's line. And to this day, we know that all those nations are against who? Against God's people, the Israelites, right? To this very day, man's fulfillment is bringing chaos on what God's original plan was. To this very day. 
See, when we follow others' instructions on the things God has promised, when we follow our own instructions on the thing that God has promised, it will always be in constant friction with what God wants to bring into fruition. I've seen mothers convince their children to do, to do things their way, even though that child has a promise from God. And then when that promise from God comes to even our own mothers, our own fathers, our own brothers and sisters in the world, and even at times, even in the church, become the biggest haters of the promise that God has for us. Why? Because we fed into a manipulated promise first. And God's promise may come, but that, those consequences of this way somehow always seem to seep into this way when we don't stay here first. You understand what I'm saying? Are you following me? When we go off the path, the consequence is there because of man's promises trying to be fulfilled. It comes into conflict with what God's promises are. doesn't mean God's promises don't come true. It doesn't mean God's promises don't still prevail. But there's conflict where, where there should be none had you just stayed on the path. I've seen young people still in their 20s today still struggling with the conflict created by their will versus God's when they were younger. I've seen them day in and day out. We get impatient. We get disobedient. And then the last point when it comes to being, uh, falling for the permissiveness over the perfect will is we become unaccountable. Young men and women in this room, if nothing else sticks tonight, I beg you to listen to this. And, well, listen to this well. You need accountability. You need accountability. Accountability does not exist to limit your, your God-given plan. Instead, it exists to limit your self-given pride. That's what accountability is all about. And that's why we, in our flesh, we battle against accountability all the time. Can I get an amen? Yeah. That's one of them. Yeah, you're right, Pastor. I don't want to admit it, but you're right. And, and let me tell you, it doesn't, I mean, you as a young person, me as an old man, old ball guy. My flesh, if I allow myself to stay in my flesh, I don't want accountability. If I stay in my flesh, I want to do what I want. I want to do it when I want to. And I don't want accountability. But I know that, that if I do that, I'm skewing off the path. I know that if I'm doing that, I'm stepping into the permissiveness and not the perfect will of God. If I want the perfect will of God, I know that God has placed people in my life that, are, that I can be accountable to so that when I face a decision in life that I'm not quite sure if I should do, I can go to and say, hey, brother, this is what I'm thinking. Can you, can you what do you think? And, and those that love Jesus, like I said earlier, and that, are, that keep your accountability as something serious and sacred to them, they're going to tell you the truth whether you want to hear it or not. That's what accountability is all about. It's about you being able to step outside your selfishness, your pride, your flesh, and say, you know what, I want what's best for me, even if it's not what I want right now. That's what accountability is all about. And if we can stay accountable with people in our life, let me tell you something. It will help you stay in the perfect will of God. Because once again, to live in God's perfect will is to die to our own. And nothing else other than God himself in this world stretches us and our will than submitting to accountability. Accountability to the men and the women of God in your life. 
You have leaders that God has placed in your life. God-given leaders that God has placed in your life. People in this church, your pastor, Pastor Joel, your pastor's wife, Cicely, you know, your, your, your small group leaders, your, 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 all these people, even older uh, students that have served God for a long time. That's okay too. Hey, accountability comes in many forms. But let me tell you something though. Don't go looking for accountability, in an accountability partner, someone that just says yes to what you have to say. Because that's not accountability, that's just a cheering section. And cheering sections don't keep you on the path to God, accountability does. Cheering sections will more often than not just lead you in your flesh. Accountability will lead you in the spirit of God and in the things of God. And this is important for your walk with God because accountability will keep you where you need to be. Worship team, if you're in the room, you can come on up. I'm about to wrap up. Or whoever is going to come up. See, when God places a man or woman of God in your life that is willing to hold you accountable, you found a good thing. In Galatians 6, 1 through 3, it says this. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Accountability. See, accountability has been the difference maker between seeing God's perfect will displayed in my life and suffering outside of it by my own will, by the permissiveness. See, young people, it's patience that we need to run and reach the goal that God has for us. It's an obedience that we need to follow his plan, his way, in his timing. Don't allow impatience to lead to disobedience. Instead, be patient and allow that to lead to obedience. Allow that to lead to say, yes, God. You're telling me to be patient, so I'm going to be patient. I don't know, God. I don't know what's coming next. I don't know what it is. And, and young men, young women in this room, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what, what the next phase of life is for you. I don't know what the next big decisions are in your life. I don't know what God's promise is for you today. I don't know. And maybe you don't know, but I'll tell you this. If you just pray, seek God's face, and, and, and get into the word of God, let me tell you, God's promises begin to roll out, man. God's, God is not stingy with his promises. You might be in this room and say, Pastor Rick, I've never had a promise of God. Let me just tell you something. You're probably just not getting close enough to Jesus yet. Because anyone I've ever met in my entire life that's close to Jesus, they felt the promise of God speak to him. Through, whether it's through his word, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through, through uh, uh, godly counsel. God will speak to you if you're willing to listen. God will speak to you if you put the time in. God will, will, will make you a promise that he will stand by if you will be patient and obedient to follow his plans. And young men and young women, it's under the covering that comes with accountability that we can see the perfect will of God come to full fruition in our life. Some here have struggled with God's will, and I dare to say it's because of some of these reasons. But today, God is in this place. Even now, I want you to 
staying seated where you are, just bow your heads. And I want you to think to yourself. First thing I want you to think about is maybe God has promised you something and, and you've been growing impatient about it. Maybe God has spoken something into your life, something that you, that you were excited about when you heard about it, something that you were, you were over the moon about because you felt God was speaking into your life and, and, and you still have yet to see it move, you know, towards that. And, and you're growing impatient. And I want to tell you, hang in there. Hold on. Don't quit. Because Abraham and Sarah, after another 10 years pass, finally see the fruition of God's promise in their life. The way God intended it through their son Isaac. And that again means that they waited for approximately 25 years for the promise of God to come true in their life. Pastor Rick, I haven't even been alive that long. I know. But wait. I'm not telling you your promise is going to come in 25 years. I'm also not telling you it's going to come in 25 minutes. But I am telling you, if God made you a promise, and it's been witnessed and, and affirmed by people in your life, hold on to it. Don't quit. Don't abandon ship. Some of you in this room maybe. You've been holding on to the promise. You've been not impatient, but you've been tempted. Tempted to disobey and make this happen on your own. And for those of you in this room that, that, that fall into that category, I want to tell you this. God's perfect will. God's perfect will for you in your life is mountains better than anything you can come up with. It's light years beyond anything you can fathom in your mind. God may have given you a promise in this room and you think there are ways I can make it happen because God's taking too long and I want to make it happen. But I'm telling you, it may seem good in your mind, in your head at that very moment. But can I promise you this, young people, that it is pales in comparison to God's promise. So don't settle for it. Don't settle for it. Wait on God. And obediently follow his way. And bro, young men, young women. I'm going to go back to accountability. There are those of you in this room that have, with every ounce of your being, fought accountability in your life. Every fiber of your flesh has, has been back at accountability. And today God is reminding you this, this evening that that accountability is key for your growth. And it's key for the promises that God has for you. So stop fighting accountability and embrace it. Godly accountability. Stop fighting it. Stop letting your flesh win that battle and say, Spirit of God, live in me and help me to be accountable to people. Because it's through that accountability that you're going to take those steps towards the promise that God has for you.
I just sense a, a gentle spirit in this place. Just a gentle spirit of love, of, of, of God. See, this is, this didn't, if this felt condemning in any way, I apologize. I didn't mean it to be. I surely did not. But I tell you this, I feel like God is in this place. Not Rick, not, not, not you know, any of these singers. God is in this place. And he, he has a gentle spirit among, uh, about him. And he wants to, to, to just love on you. And he wants to just uh, 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 reinforce this message in your, in your hearts with love and with purpose and with intentionality. Because God knows that with a group of young people in the city of Chicago who can catch fire and who could see promise and who can walk in accountability and walk in obedience and walk in patience, that God can do great things through a group like this. So it's in love. So here's how I want to end. As the, as the worship team in just a, a second is going to start singing, I want to open up this altar. And I want you to come on up. No matter what category you fell into, no matter where you're at in your promise with God, no matter where you're at, even in your walk with God, right now, these altars are open for you to spend time with Jesus. For you to spend time with the spirit of the living God and for you to be able to say, God, I know you have promises for me. And I want to walk in your perfect will towards those promises. Let me pray and then they're going to sing and I want you to come on up. Father, I praise your holy name for your word tonight to these students. It wasn't an accident that these students came to excel on this night to hear you remind them that you have great promises for them, that you have great love for them, that you just desire for them to just keep going after you and to catch fire because, Lord, you seek a nation, Father God, a nation of promise. And, God, I pray that that's what you find here at Excel. I pray that these young people would be a nation of promise for you, oh, God. Would be a nation, Father God, that goes after you. Would be a group, Father God, that seeks your face above all else. So, Lord, I pray right now as these altars open, Father God, I pray that the spirit of the living God will fall on each and every one of the people that respond to this call. And I pray, Father God, that they would walk with, with new anointing, that they would walk with new fire, that they would walk, Father God, and people would say, wait, who are you? And they, hey, you'd be like, hey, God has promised me great things, and I'm just deciding to walk in it. Jesus. Father, I just pray, Father God, that fear would no longer hold a generation down. I pray that fear and doubt and anxiety would no longer hold a generation down. But that this generation would rise up against their natural urges, oh God, and be in the spirit of the living God who they're called to be. Promise, oh God fulfilled in the lives of your people. Promise, oh God, come into fruition your way, not our way. Jesus. Father, I thank you for this group. 
I thank you for what they're doing. I thank you for, for, for their love of you, God. And right now, I thank you for those that are going to respond to this call and seek your face and allow you to just take over, God. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Father, these all, I mean, kids, adult, young men, young women, these, these, these altars are open as they sing this song. Come and spend time with God. Seek the promise of God in your life. Amen, amen.